For months, I have been wanting to offer you some more experiential exercises. More experiential exercises. That is what I'm all about. In episodes 89, 90, and 92, I gave you a lot of conceptual information about polyvagal theory, about interpersonal neurobiology. I gave you some more things about internal family systems, but something has been missing. And what's been missing, in my opinion, in this podcast in recent episodes is the experiential part of this for all of us. Julius Caesar in De Bello Civili, he said, experience is the teacher of all things. Experience is the teacher of all things. I do not want this to be just some dry, conceptual, intellectual information for you. That is not going to change your lives. I've had many clients who have had advanced degrees in philosophy and theology, who have studied different kinds of things, psychology, counseling. We need to have not just the intellectual or conceptual information. That's important, but it is nowhere near enough. Think about a psychologist. Think about a psychologist who has studied everything there is to learn about love, has taken an academic approach, read the journals, read the books, studied the experts, but has never had a loving relationship. Think about that. What does that psychologist really know about love? The intellectual, the conceptual, the analytical aspects of this, they are important, but they are not enough. John Stuart Mill, he brought this home, this great quote from his book on liberty. There are many truths of which the full meaning cannot be realized until personal experience has brought it home. There are many truths of which the full meaning cannot be realized until personal experience has brought it home. There is no substitute for experiential learning. Otherwise, it just stays in the conceptual realm. It's just all in your head. It's all in your mind. And this quote from Michael Smith, quote, the major problem is that we tend to live our life in our head, in our thoughts and stories cut off from actual experience, end quote. And what I want for you is much more than that. I want you to be able to change for the better in the deepest ways. And you can't just think or study your way there. And it's not just about having the same experiences over and over again. Many people have that kind of life. They have experiences, but they're the same experiences over and over, the same cycle. Rather, what I want for you is a much greater capacity for different experiences. I want you to have the ability to take in, to process, and to integrate new experiences as a regular part of your human formation. George Bernard Shaw said, quote, men are wise in proportion, not to their experience, but to their capacity for experience, end quote. It's not just having experiences. A lot of people have had a lot of experiences, a lot of bad experiences, but they didn't integrate them and they didn't develop a capacity for new experiences, corrective experiences, healing experiences. What holds us back from those? Many people would say fear. 
Fear holds us back. Fear of the unknown. Fear of putting ourselves out there. Fear keeps us from new experiences. Fear keeps us from the corrective effects of new experience. And you know what? I think that's true. But I don't think fear is the primary obstacle. There's something deeper than fear that holds us back from the experiences we need. And what is it that really holds us back from our new experiences? What goes deeper than our fear? What keeps us from the vulnerability that we need, from the risk-taking that we need to have those new experiences? What is it? Shame. It is our shame that ultimately holds us back from new experiences and the healing that new experiences can bring to us in the natural realm. Fear is a secondary reaction. We wouldn't have the fear if we didn't have the shame. The shame, the gnawing sense of inadequacy, that sense of not being good enough, too much shame makes us fragile way too concerned about protecting ourselves rather than connecting with other people in experiences. And in the natural realm, it's shame that most often keeps us from taking in the love that God offers us, that others offer us, and from being able to love ourselves. It's the shame that generates our fear, the desire to protect our wounds. It's the shame that shuts us off from ourselves and from other people. Shame generates fear. Fear fuels our self-protection and shuts down the openness to experience. The shame to fear to self-protection progression is what builds walls around our hearts. We see that vulnerability as dangerous. And Brene Brown in Daring Greatly, she says, quote, vulnerability is the core, the heart, the center of meaningful human experiences, end quote. Now, I would say that love is the core Love is the center of meaningful human experiences, but in order to have that love, you have to tolerate being vulnerable. Think about it. Jesus, who is love himself, Jesus, who is love himself, he symbolized himself as the lamb of God. Now, I raise sheep. Lambs are among the most vulnerable beings on earth. A newborn lamb very, very vulnerable. That vulnerability is what our Lord shared with us in his humanity, in walking the earth with us. Shame. I want to go back to shame. Shame is so important. I spent 13 episodes of this podcast just on that one topic. Those 13 episodes, episodes 37 to 49, those episodes on shame are foundational to this whole podcast. They are the most fundamental episodes of this whole podcast. So many of our problems go back to shame. Nearly all psychological dysfunction in the natural realm has its root and origin in shame. And so if you haven't listened to those episodes, episodes 37 to 49, or if it's been a long time since you've listened to them, go back, listen to them again. I really want you to grip onto what the core of our psychological issues are in the natural realm. So in this episode, I'm going to bring to you 
the kinds of experiential exercises, the kind of experiential learning that can help you understand yourself so much better and help you get yourself started toward a more solid, natural foundation for your spiritual life. I want you to have much better human formation. And the way you get that is through experiences, the right kinds of experiences. And what I want for you most of all What I want for you most of all, my prayer for you most of all, is for you to experience love, real love. To be able to experience authentic love, to receive love from others, to receive love from God, and also for you to be able to love yourself. And it doesn't stop there. It's to, for you to be able to reflect that love back to God and to be a conduit of love to your neighbor. I want you to have the human capacity. I want you to have the human formation that you need to be free to love, to love with your whole being. That is what this podcast is all about. That's what Souls and Hearts is all about. I want you to join the small number of Catholic men and women who are the leaven of the church, who are on an adventure of love. 1 John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. That's what St. John tells us. And how does it do that? How does perfect love cast out fear? Does it just numb fear while leaving your shame intact? I don't think that's how it works. That's not how it works for me. I doubt that's how it works for you. Love is the antidote for shame. Love cures shame. Love cures shame. And when shame is resolved, the fear drops away. Three kinds of love I'm going to be talking about. Love from God, love from others, including the saints, especially our Mother Mary, our spiritual mother, and love from ourselves to ourselves. So I invite you to join me on this great adventure of loving in this episode right now, this episode number 93 of this podcast, Interior Integration for Catholics. Let us journey together. Today's episode, episode 93, is released on May 2nd, 2022. It is titled, Three Experiential Exercises for You. Today, I am offering you three longer experiential exercises, each about 20 minutes. They are all informed by internal family systems. You can check out episode 71 of this podcast to find out more about internal family systems, about IFS. That episode is called A New and Better Way of Understanding Yourself and Others. It's great preparation for these exercises. All of these exercises are also going to be grounded in a Catholic understanding of the human person. It's going to bring in that Catholic anthropology. We harmonize the best of psychological and human resources are with the truths of the faith, not the other way around. So these three experiential exercises, the first one, in what ways do you not love yourself? 
what parts of you are going unloved by you, right? Which parts of you are you rejecting and condemning? And that's corresponding to episode 90, which was entitled, Your Well-Being, the Secular Experts Speak. The second experiential exercise we're going to be covering is your inner battle, protection versus connection, protection versus connection. That's episode, that's that's based off of episode 89, your trauma, your body, protection versus connection. And the third one is on inner rigidity and inner chaos. And that is based off of episode 92, understanding and healing your mind through interpersonal neurobiology or IPNB. All right, so I am so I am very excited to be entering into this experiential space with you. I'm honored that you would choose to be with me in this. I am very much looking forward to walking together with you in these exercises in this most important work of being loved and loving. Okay, so some guidelines for these exercises. We want to work in a way that is safe. We want to work in a way that is secure. So I am inviting you, I'm asking you to be aware of where you are in your window of tolerance. Where you are in your window of tolerance. When we are experiencing within our window of tolerance, we're going to be able to take in new experiences and integrate them. When we leave our window of tolerance, we are not going to be able to integrate our experiences and they will not help us to heal or to grow. When we exit our window of tolerance to the upside, that means that we're in a fight or flight response. That means we've got sympathetic activation, we are revving up, we are experiencing a threat. At least our bodies are, are acting as though we are under threat. And that does not help us to be able to connect in ways where relational experiences can help. The other way that we can go with this is to the downside. Right? That's the freeze response. That's the dorsal vagal activation, the shutting down, the numbing out, the checking out. We don't want to be doing that either, right? So I want you to be entirely free to not do these exercises. You can stop at any time. You can reground yourself. We do not want to steamroll any parts of you that have concerns about doing these exercises. It is good to do this exercise when you have the time and space and privacy. It is not the time to do these exercises when you're driving, when you're engaging in other activities that would require you to divide your attention. It won't work to do this while you're on the treadmill or when you're cooking supper or anything like this. You do need to give these exercises dedicated time. And so I'm going to invite you, if you're not in a situation like that right now, to go ahead and stop and come back to this when you do have that time to be able to to connect deeply inside. You've got a lot of options when you do these exercises. I invite you to take what is useful to you and leave the rest. Feel free to go your own direction if that seems to be what's best. You do not have to follow all of my suggestions or, or, or take advantage of all the things that I offer you. 
And there's going to be some quiet moments in these exercises to give you time to do your own inner work. I'm not going to be talking all the time. There's going to be some long pauses. If it's helpful, though, feel free to hit the pause button on your audio and really settle in and do extended work inside if that seems best. If you have an opportunity to really connect with your own parts, to really be understanding what's going on inside of yourself and to be relating well inside, if you find that you're loving yourself, if you find that you're caring for yourself, that is so important. Stop the recording. Stay with that. I'm going to heartily encourage you to, to, to really stay with that. Our Lord said, love your neighbor as yourself. Luke 10, 27. It's also in Matthew. It's also in Mark. We are supposed to love ourselves in an ordered way. I'm going to invite you to have pens and paper pencils to write down things that are helpful, like in a journal, or you can map out things, draw if that's helpful to you. And the other thing to know is that you can do these exercises multiple times. You can be focusing on different parts of yourself. A guiding principle, and I can't stress this enough, is there is that there be a lot of gentleness with yourself for yourself. We are going to have moments in these experiential exercises for you to really care for yourself, to really see what your parts need from you. Loving your parts, loving yourself, care and compassion. Now, you may get distracted. That's okay. That's common. You can just refocus, or if that's not possible, then get curious about that distraction. Why does a part of you need to distract you? That's significant. There's meaning there. And so when you experience something like that, I'm just going to invite you to really enter into what's happening there. All right, so with all of those preliminaries now out of the way, we're going to enter into this first experiential exercise. Experiential exercise number one for today in what ways do you reject yourself? In what ways do you reject yourself? In what ways do you condemn yourself as a person? In what ways do you fail to love yourself? So we're going to slow this way down now. We're going to move into a space to do our inner work. And I will be doing my own inner work as I'm speaking. I'm going to be working with my own parts as I do this. So this isn't just something that I offer to you. This is the kind of thing that I do with my own parts. If you're like me, if you're like the vast majority of people in the world, you have a part that finds it hard to love another part of you or even to accept some other part of you. That's true for almost everybody. It's true in our fallen world. We have parts inside that are in conflict, parts that may hate each other. 
And we are to love ourselves, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. You can't delegate that responsibility of loving yourself to anyone else. No one else, not even God, can take your place in you loving you. God cannot make up for the love that someone who hates themselves does not share with himself or herself. So many people hate themselves. So many people condemn themselves, reject themselves. And God loves them, right? But they don't love themselves. We're working in the natural realm here. And I want to be clear that we're not focusing on the unloved parts. We're focusing on the parts that don't love. The parts of us that don't love other parts of us. And so we're going to ask those parts that are unloved by ourselves, that bear the burden of shame that are rejected or condemned by other parts of us. We're going to ask them to be patient. We ask them not to flood or overwhelm. It's really important that we work with our protectors first. So I'm going to invite you to ask yourself the question, in what ways do I reject myself? In what ways do I condemn myself as a person? What part of me refuses to love myself? And I'm just going to invite you to notice what's happening as we float those questions. What's happening in your body? How does your body react when we begin to seriously consider the ways in which we reject or condemn or judge ourselves? And I'm going to invite you to focus in on that experience in your body, that bodily response that comes up when you consider how you reject yourself or you condemn yourself. 
And I'm curious about what part of you is doing that rejection or condemnation or judging. I'm curious if that's maybe an inner critic. That's a part of you that does that. It's not all of you, but that part can be so strong sometimes, so dominant that it can drown out almost anything else going inside, almost anything else going on inside because it's blended with you. And so I'm going to invite you to focus on that bodily response. We can call that a trailhead, maybe a trailhead that's connected with that inner critic or that inner judge. If you don't have an identifiable bodily response, that's okay. Just going to invite you to notice whatever is going on inside. Notice what emotions are up, or images, or thoughts, or desires, or impulses, or memories, whatever is going on inside, whatever beliefs or assumptions, any internal experience in response to that question. How do I reject myself? And I'm going to invite you to focus in on that sensation, that inner experience that reflects some kind of self-condemnation or negative judgment of yourself as a person. We're talking about these global negative assessments, this rejection of yourself as a person. I'm going to listen in to that experience. Really notice what that inner critic is like. How do you experience that inner critic? And let's see if we can work with one part at a time. Remember, you can do this guided experiential exercise over again with different parts if you'd like. Let's see if your parts can agree to let you as the self work with one part at a time. And we're going to ask any parts that might not like your inner critic to just give you some space so that you as yourself can reach out to that critic. 
inner critics often catch a lot of flack from other parts. They catch a lot of criticism for being critical. We're going to ask any parts that don't like your inner critic or that are polarized with that inner critic in conflict to see if we can try a new way of connecting with that critic, a new way of interacting where we approach that critic, where you as the self approach that critic, that you reach out to that inner critic if that seems okay. See if that's okay. To really look at your inner critic. And we're going to ask your inner critic not to flood you with its intensity. It's a safety thing. We don't want that critic to take you over. It's so much better to be separate but near. Not blended, not taken over, not flooded. Separate but near. Because when we're separate but near, then there's the possibility for relationship. And when we're blended, we're so likely to leave our window of tolerance. We're so likely to move into fight or flight or into freeze mode. Now, I'm curious if you could ask your inner critic, if you're in touch with that part, to ask that inner critic how old it is. It might seem like an odd question, but I'm going to invite you to ask that inner critic how old that part is. Often these parts are stuck in an age when they had to take over the role, when they were forced into taking over the role because of extreme circumstances, the role of being so critical. You can also ask that critic, what year does it think it is? It's another way of kind of locating this part and the story of your life. Like what year does this critic believe it is? And I'm curious how you're feeling toward your inner critic. What, what kinds of emotions and attitudes are coming up? What kinds of thoughts or assumptions are coming up toward your critic? Are you able to experience compassion? 
Do you have a sense of connection? Do you have a genuine interest, a real curiosity about that part? And do you have a sense of feeling calm? You know, if there are negative feelings, if there's detachment or agitation or an agenda to try to get that critic to act differently, that's another part that's up, another part that's blended, another part that is trying to drive your bus. And I'm wondering if we can get any concerned protector parts that are, are, are worried about you connecting with your inner critic. I wonder if we can invite those parts to soften and to relax back so that you as the self can connect with your inner critic. Would any concerned protectors that may be activated or up for you, can they try something different and really just allow you to be separate but near with that inner critic and to hear what that part wants you to know? I'm certain that that inner critic has good intentions for you, that it's trying to help you. Can we hear about how it's trying to help? Can that part tell you what it struggles with, what its concerns are? Why it feels like it needs to judge or criticize or condemn or do whatever it does that causes distress or trouble inside?
can we get to know what emotions that part experiences? Anger, irritation, fear. And what part does that inner critic protect against? What kinds of parts is that critic trying to suppress or to exile, trying to contain? And why does it feel like it needs to do this job? What is it concerned would happen if it doesn't do this job? I'm curious if your inner critic can see you, if it can see you as self, if it knows that you're there. Just ask. Can it sense compassion from you? A desire to connect. A genuine interest. And a sense of calm. Can you be with your inner critic and open to that part in a way that allows that part to be seen, heard, known, and understood.
to be open to why this part does what it does, why it believes what it believes, not having an agenda to change the part right away, but to first understand. And does that part feel love from you? It might be too soon. And frankly, it might be really hard for you to love this part right now. But if you can find within yourself some love for this part, I'm wondering if that part, that inner critic, can take it in. If it can receive that love yet. And where are you with compassion and connection and curiosity and calm now as you are interacting with this part, if you can? How differently do you see this part than before? And as we near the end of this exercise, you're welcome to write down what you've learned, what was helpful to you, what came to you, to give your parts a voice on paper. You know, a lot of gratitude for all your parts, all your parts of good intentions they're trying to help. You know, this doesn't have to be the end of you connecting with your your inner critic doesn't have to be a one-off experience. There's ways that you can check in with your part again. You could do this whole exercise over again if you wanted to with your inner critic or with a different part. A lot of gratitude to your parts for the space and the time that they've given you to be able to be separate but near to your inner critic. And I want to thank you for doing internal work. I want to thank you for loving your parts. So few people 
take this inner work seriously, take their human formation seriously, take loving their parts seriously, and the world so needs it. So thank you. All right, and so now we'll go ahead and move on to experiential exercise number two. And again, feel free to pause if you want more time to work through anything from experiential exercise one before we move on to our second experiential exercise. That's fine. Use this recording in any way that's helpful to you. Okay, so in this experiential exercise, we're going to be looking at protection and connection. So just a brief review as we begin. Our autonomic nervous system, it manages two fundamental human needs. The need to survive and the need to bond. In order to survive, there's this drive for protection. And in order to bond, we need to connect relationally with others. We need both. We need to be protected and we need to be connected. But trauma, trauma divides those needs. It basically determines that we can't have both. We can either have protection or we can have connection. When we move to just a protective state, we're seeking only survival. That's when we leave our window of tolerance. We become closed to connection with others, closed to change. And that makes health and growth and restoration all impossible when we are activated in trauma states, when parts have taken us over. And so in this exercise, I'm just going to invite you to get to know your protectors. These are the parts of you that are very focused on keeping you safe, keeping you protected. The ones that want to try to make sure that you'll survive. These could be your managers who protect proactively and your firefighters who protect reactively against exiles that may be coming up with their intensity. And so in this exercise, we're going to slow things way down again and get really curious about our protectors and especially about this need for protection. And as we talk about the need for protection, I'm going to invite you to notice what is happening inside. What's going on inside? 
to find an internal experience, a body sensation, or maybe some other experience, and focus in on that. Because that trailhead, that body experience, or that internal experience of some other kind could be an image or a memory that comes up around protection. If we follow that, it will lead us to a part, a protector. And I'm going to invite you to get to know your protectors. I'm going to invite you to have a big open heart toward your protectors. A heart that's open and receptive to them. A heart that wants to love them. Even if some of those protectors have had impulses that were harmful or desires that were disordered, they may have drawn you into trouble of one kind or another. Those protectors have good intentions for you. They're trying to help. And so can we recognize that? Would that be okay? That doesn't mean we're endorsing everything about these protectors. It doesn't mean that we're approving of all their desires or their impulses. But can we accept these protectors as they are right now? Can we get to know them? Can we invite them around a conference table or around the campfire on a beach? And just be with them. And see them. And to accept that they are part of us. Can we greet them? And can we ask them to give you space to unblend if they are fused with you in some way, if they're if they've tried to take you over out of their fear or out of their desire to try to help, if they could trust that you as the self can lead and guide your system.
And then if you're in touch with them, either because you can see them, some people can visualize their protectors, others can hear them, others can sense them in other ways, notice them in their bodies, for example, through the body sensations. However you can connect, I'm just going to invite you to listen to them to go around the conference table or around the campfire or around from protector to protector to just hear what they might want you to know. And we're going to ask those protectors to take turns and to not interrupt and to know that if they can cooperate and collaborate, all of them can have a say. And again, feel free to pause the recording if you need more time to enter into a connection with each of your protectors. And if that seems uncomfortable, let's get curious about that. See if we can reassure a part that you actually can lead and guide your system. And if it's helpful, we can also set a limit of time with each protector, two minutes or four minutes. Sometimes that's helpful to get cooperation within your system to be able to connect with your protectors. What would each of them like you to know? And again, if it's helpful to write it down, and I like to use different colors for different parts. Each of my protectors has a different color that I write with in my parts journal when I'm writing for those protectors. And again, you can reconnect with these protectors again in this exercise if you choose or in your own work internally with your parts. This doesn't have to be the end. It can be just another point in the journey. A lot of gratitude to your protectors lot of appreciation for their good intentions. A lot of understanding for the ways they've tried to help, even when those ways have been maladaptive or harmful to yourself or to others. 
to appreciate that these protectors are often young parts caught in extreme roles, caught back in time, not integrated, not able to access the rest of your resources because of how separated and disconnected they were from the rest of you. All right, so that was exercise two. And we'll move on to exercise three, which is about rigidity and chaos. And so this is going to key off of episode 92, the last episode. And when a system is not optimally self-organizing, it tends to veer toward rigidity or toward chaos. And Daniel Siegel has this great idea that every symptom of every disorder can be framed in terms of chaos or rigidity or both. Health is found in internal integration. And when there's integration, there is neither chaos nor rigidity. It's somebody who's really peaceful, who has a deep sense of inner harmony, is not experiencing rigidity or chaos. And I'm just going to invite you into this question of, well, two questions, really. When do I feel rigid? And when do I feel chaotic? Can we just get curious? about our internal rigidity and our internal chaos. Can, can we have some space to just learn something about that so that we can be more balanced and more harmonious and more peaceful? Again, we don't want to be overwhelmed with rigidity. We don't want to be overwhelmed with chaos. We're going to ask parts not to blend. Can we have a space to understand ourselves more deeply? And the parts of us that get rigid and the parts of us that get chaotic... What parts of us 
become rigid to try to make everything predictable. These are often our protectors that are trying to bring order out of chaos, but they do it in a way that gets us to be rigid, that gets us in a place of being brittle. And then the parts of us that are more chaotic, the intensity of passions, of emotions, often these are the, the parts that carry the effects of trauma, the shame, the fear, the anger, the sadness, the grief, the loss can feel chaotic. And if we work together, if your parts can hear the possibility of working collaboratively, cooperatively, They can hear that. It can open up a whole different realm of possibilities. Maybe parts are doubtful. Maybe parts are skeptical. It's been this way for a long time, they might say. There's a difference here when yourself is leading and guiding your system. Hearts want to be seen, they want to be safe, they want to be soothed, they want to be secure. Seen, safe, soothed, and secure. The four S's of building secure attachment. Attachment within.
And when yourself is leading and guiding your system, there's neither chaos nor rigidity. That's an amazing thing of being in self. Remember those eight C's? Calm. Compassionate. Connected. Curious. With clarity. And creativity. And courage. And confidence. And in our bodies, we are much more relaxed in that window of tolerance, in that ventral vagal state where we can take in relationship. Would your parts like that? Would they like to experience that integration? Would they like it to be very different than the infighting and the polarizations inside and the tension inside as parts battle each other? Do they know that you can lead and guide your system? And yes, it takes some practice. And yes, there's a learning curve here. But that possibility exists. Daniel Siegel discusses how human suffering can be summed up in chaos in and rigidity. I think he may be onto something there. When there's a lack of order, a lack of well-being, when I think of hell, I think of chaos and rigidity. I think of isolation. I think of alienation. I think some of our parts live in a regular experience of hell on earth. Chaos, rigidity, isolation, alienation, exhaustion, frustration, helplessness, despair. Can we, in love, reach out 
to those parts of us that our protectors might have condemned as sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, lost sheep, bad sheep, the parts of us that are considered unacceptable, lepers, untouchable, unreachable, unacceptable. Those parts of us that are longing to be seen, heard, known, and loved, longing to be included. Do your protectors, can they imagine what it would be like if no part of you was left behind? If all parts of you experienced healing and a deep fundamental change? If all parts of you could be freed from being dominated by shame and its effects, if they could have a solid natural base, a solid natural foundation for the spiritual life. So much healing is possible if our parts are open to it and if they are willing to allow you as self to lead and guide your system. What do your parts need from you to be less rigid? What do your parts need from you to be less chaotic? And again, gratitude to your parts as we wrap this up. And if it's helpful to take a break and write in your parts journal or to draw out in some way the experiences that you had to be able to hold on to them. A lot of appreciation for your parts, especially for the space and for a willingness to try new things, to try new ways of relating, to, to give you as self an opportunity 
to lead and guide your system instead of parts blending and taking over. And again, this doesn't have to be the end. It doesn't have to be a one-off experience. There are ways to work with your parts. And yes, therapy is one of those ways. IFS informed therapy is one of those ways. And one of my major missions in life is to help Catholic therapists learn to do their own internal work, to learn to do their own human formation work, because that's what I think holds so many therapists back. We do that in the interior therapist community. If you are a Catholic therapist or a graduate student, check that out, soulsandhearts.com backslash ITC, the interior therapist community, or just Google interior therapist community. I also want to reach out to you if you really understand the importance of experience, of experiencing change, not just thinking about it, not just considering it, but if you really value experiencing new things throughout your whole being, I have an invitation for you. If you've really responded to these experiential exercises in this episode, I have an invitation for you. I invite you to the Resilient Catholics community, the RCC. There is nothing else like the RCC out there anywhere. The RCC is all about being loved and loving with your whole heart, with all of your being, every fiber of who you are, all your parts. The RCC, the Resilient Catholics community, is about resolving the human formation issues that have thwarted your capacity to be loved and to love. It's all about resolving the natural level issues that have kept you from being more vulnerable, that have kept you from being connected with others rather than moving to self-protection. It's all about restoration. It's about recovering from being dominated by shame and fear and anger and sadness and pessimism, whatever you struggle with, and the depths of your human formation. And the thing about the RCC is that we do this work experientially. There are so many experiential exercises, more than a hundred of them of all different kinds, all for the members of the RCC. You can't get these reflections. You can't get this guidance anywhere else. All of what we do is grounded in a Catholic understanding of the human person, and it's informed by internal family systems and the best of the rest of psychological resources, all focused on helping you better accept love, better tolerate being loved and to love more fully, to carry out those two great commandments of our Lord. And I'm going to be real upfront about this. The RCC is a serious commitment. It's a one-year program. The whole first year is a year-long experience, 44 weekly company meetings. We take a few weeks off for Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving and things like that, but 44 weekly meetings 
These are company meetings with that small group that will be accompanying you on a pilgrimage to much better human formation. And on that pilgrimage, you will have a companion to journey with. That companion is there for daily connection. You connect daily. And so I'm wondering if you are up for that challenge. Would you like to join me and the rest of the pioneers in the RCC in this adventure? Do you want to be a part of the community? Are you ready to prevail over whatever hinders your human formation? Do you want to grow with other like-minded Catholics on the journey, others that love this podcast and love the experiential exercises? If so, join me. Join all of us in the Resilient Catholics community, the RCC. We are taking applications throughout the month of June of 2022, from June 1st to June 30th. Those people that apply and are accepted into the RCC in June will make up our third cohort. That cohort will start their adventure in June and July by taking our initial measures kits, getting feedback on their parts in a personal Zoom session with me. You'll also get a five-page report that will lay out what hypothesized parts were identified in your initial measures kits and how those parts interact. It's a fascinating process to go through. You'll also get a 15-minute Zoom interview with me to go over that report. It's a great chance for us to get to know each other and to really get to know each other at the level of parts. And then for that cohort that applies in June, we'll be starting programming in late August or early September. So get on that waiting list, soulsandhearts.com backslash RCC, or you can just do an internet search for the Resilient Catholics community. If you're not ready for that yet, And not everybody is. Like I said, this isn't for everybody. Some people just aren't quite ready or some people really need need, uh, therapy instead or in addition to the RCC. I'm going to invite you to sign up for my email reflections. I send those out every week on Wednesdays, soulsandhearts.com. Click on the button on the homepage to receive the weekly emails. We are addressing the topic of lying and deception. We've been on that for uh, uh, since last week. We're going to be continuing that for a few more weeks. All about lying and deception and the psychological aspects of this as well as the moral aspects of it. So every Wednesday those come out. So sign up at soulsandhearts.com if you'd like to get those weekly email reflections. Those are free. And let's just end by invoking our patroness and our patron. Our Lady, Our Mother, Untire of Knots, pray for us, St. John the Baptist, pray for us.